On episode 24 of the Think Wildlife podcast, I will be speaking to Andrea Ritchie, who is the executive director of the Hong Kong Shark Foundation. We will talk about the conservation and importance of sharks and the threats of shark finning. Stay tuned. So welcome to our podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Well, thank you, Anish, for having me. It's my pleasure. Why was the Hong Kong Shark Foundation founded and what is your long-term vision with this organization? Well, the Hong Kong Shark Foundation is a Section 88 charity. Originally, we started in 2008 and um, later in 2015, we became uh, a a proper uh, Section 88 charity. And so that means that people who make donations basically can get tax deductible receipts. That's uh, the difference for us. And our long-term vision is is same as our mission, which is five words, raise awareness about shark conservation. And of course, educate people to say no to shark products. And it's not just shark fin soup, but it's other shark our products, and we'll get into that as we uh, talk further today. So why is it important to conserve sharks? Well, sharks are apex predators, and, and their main role is really to be a cleaner of the ocean. They maintain that delicate marine ecosystem balance, and they are um, they're opportunists. Sharks go after the weak, they go after the sick. And so they that's how they keep the ocean clean. And that's how they keep the ocean balanced. And so it's very important that we keep those sharks in the food chain. Without them, we will have catastrophic collapse of the food chain. One of the biggest issues facing sharks is shark finning. So could you just elaborate mm-hmm. about what shark finning is? So shark finning is very simply the cutting off of all the fins of a shark and um, and then utilizing that for a very popular and expensive luxury item called shark fin soup. Um, this was actually popular. It started way like a thousand years ago, way back in the Song Dynasty, uh, when a um, a poet named Mr. Mei Yao Chen wrote a poem about how to make shark fin soup. And the emperor of the Song Dynasty saw that and then said, oh, let's make that shark fin soup. And so it became a status symbol. Uh, there is no taste in shark fin soup. The shark fins are made, um, it's cartilage, just like what's your nose and your ears or your knees might have. But there is no taste. The taste comes from the broth or the soup that the chef is using. So um, shark finning became very popular really in the 1980s because when China kind of rose uh, to economic power and restaurants jumped on board and created a marketing campaign uh, within not so not in China, but in Southern China in Hong Kong and Guangdong and in Cantonese, it's you pronounce it balsam chito. It's this, the big four that you want to eat. And so shark finning became a luxury 
And so you bought it when you wanted to impress people. You bought bought that when you wanted to have a company dinner because it's the most ex- one of the most expensive items you can buy. And so um, we have to keep that in perspective. And so we call that conspicuous consumption. Conspicuous consumption is where maybe, Anish, you go to lunch with your friends and you wear your uh, best kicks, right? And maybe a fancy top. And, you know, maybe you're a Tesla driver, you bring the fob. Uh, Maybe you have a Gucci wallet, you might put that on the table. So people want other people to see that they're successful. And one of the most, um, uh, um, uh, one of the most, uh, I don't want to say easy, but one of the most popular ways to show people that you're successful um, is to buy the most expensive item. And sadly, that's shark fin soup. Does the consumption of shark fins actually have any medical benefits? Uh, to the best of our knowledge, there are no medical benefits to eating, consuming shark fin soup or any shark products. In fact, it's not just shark fin soup that people are eating now. Um, they used to throw the shark overboard because there wasn't enough room on the boats, you know, but there were, we, they got the lucrative, um, uh, profitable fins. Now they're keeping the whole shark. They're selling the shark for the meat. They're selling the liver for um, supplements and for lipstick and for makeup. And they're using the skin. They're using, um, well, the meat, for example, in the UK is used in most fish and chips now is using shark meat. And so, in fact, there was a Daily Mail did a survey in London of 10 fish and chip shops. And they found 10 out of 10 of the shops actually were using shark meat. And they give fake names like um, rock salmon in the UK, they might call it. Or in Australia, they call it flake. Or in New Zealand, they might call it lemon fish. So there are many different names that they've given to shark meat to cover it up. And so the consumer doesn't actually know that they're eating shark meat. Um, So, you know, it's lucrative. And it is, um, it, it's really just sold for uh, this status symbol. Uh, and even though the traditional Chinese medicine industry uses a lot of animal parts, um, there is no proof, as far as we know, that there's any medical benefit to that. What are some misconceptions about sharks? Well, the biggest misconception is that uh, sharks are killed only for shark fin soup and that they're killed by China, for Chinese consumption. And in fact, that is so not true now. The reason um, it, there's been such a huge growth in the um, killing of sharks and thus the, um, and thus the, the, um, what's the word I'm thinking of here? So you can cut this out when you go back. Um there uh the consumption has risen and so the number of sharks killed is around 100 million per year just for fins now because they're eating the whole shark marine biologists tell me that it's more like 350 million sharks killed every year so the misconception is that this is something that is happening in china but in fact this is not a chinese problem because when you have fish and chips and you have pet food, the pet food industry is huge for using 
shark remnants, shark scraps. Um, when you have all these other industries, a makeup industry and, and, and um, the food and beverage, the, in, in, in the food industry, like swordfish steaks or tuna steaks, they're also eating shark steaks. And when you have an increase in other parts of the shark being used, like we have now, and a popularity, um, then what happens is you have greater numbers of sharks killed. And there's a this misconception that it's only a Chinese problem, right? Or it's caused by the Chinese. And so that's what we at Hong Kong Shark Foundation do when we're educating people. We want people to understand that this is absolutely a global crisis that is cruel and unsustainable if we continue. And one of the biggest misconceptions is that, um, you know, just a few sharks are caught and there's plenty of sharks in the ocean, but that's not true. There are not that many sharks in the ocean and we see the numbers going down more and more. In fact, I read a report that in 2022, the number of shark attacks globally dropped but that's because there are less sharks in the world. That's because there's more beach safety than we used to have. And also because COVID kept people out of the ocean. Is commercial farming of sharks a viable option? No, it doesn't exist. You cannot put sharks into a small pen. They need a whole ocean and you cannot farm sharks like you do fish. But in fact, you cannot sustainably farm fish either. There are many, many problems with that. Uh, there's great amount of pollution. Of, there are um, diseases. You have to feed them antibiotics. You have to, um, you have to keep them separate from the indigenous uh, fish. So there are a lot of problems with uh, fish farming. You cannot do that with sharks. It is not feasible. It is not something that's uh, uh, possible to do. Uh, what are some of the other threats faced by sharks globally? So the other threats that sharks are facing are the consumption of the shark, not just for its fins, but the increased consumption and the uh, unfortunate uh, increase of commercial overfishing. And commercial overfishing is probably the biggest threat right now to sharks. Because when the fishermen are out there going after the tuna, for example, which is a very lucrative fish, the sharks are also swimming after the tuna. And so they get caught up and they become bycatch. And the long lines are very long now. And the gill nets are many, many kilometers long. And so sharks, because they're going after the fish also, they're getting caught up. And this is hugely damaging to the population. You know, sharks are low and slow producers. They don't reach sexual maturity till they're eight to 15 years old. Uh, for example, the Greenland shark, which lives in very cold water near Greenland, does not become sexually mature until it's 120 years old. Um, and the gestation period for sharks is anywhere from six months to two years. So if you're catching juvenile sharks, and before they can reproduce, then the population drastically drops down. And that's where you commercial fishing, um, sharks just can't compete with that. They cannot reproduce like fish fast enough. So if I had to blame it on one thing, I would say 
uh, greater consumption habits, which is something we educate people to make cognitive changes about. You're, you know, have a meatless Monday, have a fishless Friday, and uh, commercial overfishing, huge problems for sharks. And, you know, there are sanctuaries, Anish, in the world, but they're only in places like Palau, the Maldives, Guam, Honduras, um, uh, the Bahamas has one, uh, you know, so the Galapagos. So this is difficult for, you know, sharks don't, don't know that that's a place where they can go and have sanctuary because they need thousands and thousands of kilometers to live. But uh, unfortunately, commercial overfit, the commercial fishing fleets go and wait outside of these sanctuaries because they know there's going to be lots of sharks and sharks are lucrative now. What are some of the most prominent projects being run by the Hong Kong Shark Foundation? Well, we have three main campaigns that have been quite successful in the past. Um, the first one is our Shark Ambassador Education Program. Every year we reach uh, over 10,000 students, even during COVID, where we were locked down in Hong Kong for three years. Uh, we still were educating and reaching out and talking to kids and Zooming with them. We were Zooming 200, 500 kids, even 700 kids at one go. So our education program is really robust and really encourages students to become leaders. Uh, the second campaign we have is our Shark Free Company campaign, which is a uh, corporate social responsibility or ESG program where we get corporates to pledge and have their employees pledge that they will not eat shark fin soup at corporate events. And that's a win-win-win. It's great. And uh, so we are working on that. And so you can be a company from anywhere in the world. So if you're a listener, if you're a student and you want to be a shark ambassador, or if you're a part of a company and you want to get your company involved, you know, reach out to me. And um, we, our campaign is global. And then our third campaign is a shark-free wedding. Um, unfortunately, you were not allowed to have wedding parties for the last three years because no, not more than two people at one point could gather. So you can't really have a wedding party. So people got married and they waited. And now three years later, they're having the wedding party. So we're working with um, wedding planners and hotels to not have shark fin soup at people's wedding. What have been some of your greatest learnings from your conservation career? My greatest learning is that all the skills I have learned from working in the corporate world are absolutely applicable to running an NGO. And um, I've also... You know, I, I know that not everybody can do everything, but everyone can do something. And I realized that the more you can learn about wildlife, the more you can respect it. And so it's been a fantastic eight years. I have, you know, loved every minute being a part of the shark conservation movement. And I am, you know, I think it's something that we need to do. Uh, constantly because I am a farmer and niche. I am a far farmer and I'm constantly planting the seeds of change. 
And so I hope that the work I do, whether it's my TEDx talk or whether it's some of the 10,000 students I speak to every year, or whether it's, it's a podcast like this for the Wildlife Foundation, um, I really feel that um, I have learned so much and I want to pass on that knowledge and plant the those seeds of change in young people. So I hope your listeners will take, you know, into their heart what I'm talking about. And if they're interested to give back to the planet, to the ocean, to sharks, reach out to me. I would love to work globally with any of your listeners. One final question is, how can individuals contribute to uh, the Hong Kong Shark Foundation? That's a great question. Thank you, Anish, for asking. Well, you could take a pledge and say that you won't eat any shark products. Um, you could sign our petition that's on our website. You could um, help us create content for our social media. We're on Instagram, Hong Kong Shark Foundation, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Twitter. We're even on Weibo in China. So if any of you out there love to make videos about um shark and ocean conservation, please reach out to us. All of our content is made by students and volunteers. Um, you could um, start a shark ambassador club at your school, uh, especially if you're a secondary school student and you're involved in international baccalaureate program. Um, it's, it's a perfect way to give back. Uh, you know, if you want to be an intern, uh, right now we're interviewing for interns for the summer, but you could be an intern for the year if you wanted to. Um, I'm happy to do that remotely with some students. And finally, if you would like to help us not only raise awareness, but also raise very much needed funds, you could join and you could do some crowdfunding with us, do an event like you could take a hike or you could go swimming or you could do running or biking, get your friends to join and then raise funds. You could use a platform like Give.Asia, which is really easy to use, something that we use here and uh, or whatever crowdfunding platform you like. And um, that's what we encourage, especially young people to get involved so that they can learn how to give back, not only raising awareness about the cause, but also raising much needed money to help support and run. Because our organization runs purely on donations. We don't have any grants or government funding. So we take from individuals out there, your listeners, so if you're one, if you're interested, um, we're we're absolutely here, and we want to work with you, and we would be very grateful to any support from any of your listeners. That is my final question for the day. Thank you so much for your time. It is a pleasure speaking to you. Really nice speaking with you, Anish.